nobody likes dealing with adversity, but it does provide an opportunity to really figure out what you have and to get stronger. And yes, that's one of the cliches that's thrown out there, especially in this day and age now where people are looking for all sorts of motivation. And we have our sources where we go for it as well here on the Fast Lane and Fast Lane Ed Lane Facebook, Twitter, Instagram. But when you look at college sports and sports in general, a lot of it is how do you overcome adversity? Because it's going to pop up in any circumstance and in any situation. And sometimes, yes, there's negative reinforcement, but sometimes it's also positive reinforcement for doing things the right way to try to instill good habits. And it goes both ways. It just depends on where you are as an organization and the route that you realistically need to take. But week one of college football provided those opportunities. Now, Virginia's spot is totally different for a couple of reasons from Virginia Tech and Liberty. Part of it is Virginia lost to a much superior team in Tennessee. Part of it's also the obvious you know, elephant in the room, although I don't know if it's really an elephant in the room, it's just a reality that people know, and that is for Virginia right now, just being back on the field seems to be the focus and the moral victory, and yes, if you're a Virginia fan, you'd love for that to translate into a good performance against JMU this weekend and beyond, but there's also the, the fact that their circumstance is unique. There's no blueprint for it. Don't pretend to. When I, you know, even when your mind goes to the more cold, callous place of, well, at some point you have to try to move on and play football. Um, the human side pops back in, you know, devil and angel on your shoulder, if you will, and the angel pops back in and, and gets you to realize that yes, it is more than football, at least at this time for Virginia. And a lot of the problems that they've experienced were well before the tragedy on grounds. So that that's a whole different element. But for Virginia Tech and for Liberty, they needed some elements of adversity and have needed to do that. Now, for Virginia Tech, you'd like to see them build upon that against Purdue. I have my doubts in part because of this stubborn desire to do a two-quarterback system. Unlike Trey, I don't express much optimism that this will actually work out favorably for Virginia Tech. But there's also Liberty as well. And they needed adversity in their victory against Bowling Green. And Jamie Chabwell spoke with the media immediately after that game and just mentioned first and foremost twice, we might add, about how he was on a bigger picture level, proud of his program for handling the lulls in the football game. I was very proud of our response in the second half. You know, we came out and we were up 24 to nothing. Things were going well. Uh, we get a, we, we have some special teams miscues, let them get back in the game. They drive the field. Uh, you know, there in the third quarter, we, we, we were able to hold them out to a field goal, and, and it goes back and forth. And the biggest question mark I think our staff had is, you know, how would we respond to some adversity when it got tight? Uh, and I'm very proud of that. You should be if you're a Liberty fan. You'd love to have the blowout victory. Obviously, a win is a win. But you do learn more about a team if they can show that they can handle some patch of adversity. And Jamie Chabwell elaborated on that even further about how that shows more about what this team and any football team in all actuality is capable of doing over the course of a season. The effort, the attitude, and, and their resourcefulness, the resiliency that, that we showed, um, I'm proud of that. We can build off of that. Uh, there's obviously a lot of things that we know we got to get improved on, but uh, I was proud of that effort and coming out and, and, and fighting for four quarters. That's what we challenge them to do and, and believe in each other. Don't, don't waver, don't doubt. Uh, continue striking that stone. That's our mindset, and they did a great job. And-
resourcefulness. I, I love that word out of the ones Jamie Chowell uttered because that's what teams need to figure out. And yes, sometimes it's on the coaching staff to provide those solutions. It's not just the head coach. It's the collective assistant coaches. But oftentimes it's also on the players to figure these things out on their own when you're out on the field. So you're not always looking to the sideline with your hands out trying to figure out how the problem can be resolved and addressed. And I'm going to get old man here for a second here in the fast lane. But crotchety old man coming out right here. This snow plow syndrome that's out there. See, everyone thinks of snowflake syndrome. My child can do no wrong. And there's an element of that in society today. But there's also snow plow syndrome. The one where it's let's remove all of the obstacles so that my child doesn't have to deal with them. Uh, the reality of anything that's worth accomplishing, you're probably going to have patches of adversity. You need that to battle through you need to show you can handle when things don't go well a mean dad coming out for a moment here twin five-year-old boys there are times when they legitimately get hurt and you need to console with them you need to put your arm around them you need to tend to the cut or the bruise or whatever that pops up there are also times where it's more the feelings getting hurt and there's no right or wrong answer all the time and you're not going to be 100 percent as a parent on this but there are times where sometimes you let them figure it out. My wife and I have both called each other in a lot of cases where one of us wants to interject and you know put an end to a disagreement or whatever. And sometimes it's, y'all are going to figure this thing out on your own, how to get along. And, and again, it's not the way you handle it all the time, but football is an example of that. It's not just the coaches calling timeouts to rip someone a new one or to discuss strategy. Sometimes it's letting teams go about this process themselves. And Liberty did a great job with that this past Saturday. That's the positive takeaway from their victory against Bowling Green. There's a lot to clean up. Coaching staff is well aware of that and willing to acknowledge that. But you have to endure that. You have to handle that. And then Virginia Tech, same thing. And not exactly the same way, but there were moments where Virginia Tech should have and could have put this game away. Part of it is the stubborn desire, let's run two quarterbacks in there, even though you could use your backup quarterback in a Keaton Thompson, Taysom Hill-like role. Sorry to reference Virginia, but it shouldn't be that big of a deal for Virginia Tech, considering that only once did Bronco Mendenhall even beat Virginia Tech, although there are a couple other times it should have happened, but self-inflicted mistakes derailed that. I digress. Virginia Tech, same thing. And at least Virginia Tech did not have all the self-inflicted mistakes they've had in the past. The turnovers, the penalties, the miscues and opportunities. But Brent Pry, for all the criticism that has been lobbed his way here in the fast lane, I'd like to say it's justified. He said this to the Virginia Tech Radio Network in the post-game interview that you heard this past Saturday, and that is this team did miss a chance to put the game away, and that in and of itself is a patch of adversity that needs to be addressed. We had multiple opportunities to be able to finish or extend the drive and, and weren't able to do that. So we got to, you know, we got to look at it as coaches, what we're doing schematically, what, what we're calling, all those things. And then there's a lot of corrections across the board, but it's always better to correct things with a win than a loss. That was Tyler Bowen, rather, not Brent Pry, as you can probably tell by the voice. But the point of the matter is, is there were missed opportunities to put the game away for the Virginia Tech offense. Now, Bowen didn't go so far as to say, what the hell are we doing with the two-quarterback system? Again, those are my words, not his. But it's a legitimate question. And that is one that, if you're Virginia Tech, can get in the way. Because oftentimes when you're disrupting the flow of the offense, if something's not working or you sense an opportunity, sometimes when things aren't working, you do need your team to figure that out. 
I do worry about run blocking for the offensive line for Virginia Tech, particularly given that they're younger and oftentimes the ability to bully someone off the football when you're younger and not as physically developed. And that's where Virginia Tech is. It's not the, hey, they're bigger linemen who don't know what they're doing. That would be more of an issue in pass protection. No, we're getting into the weeds here. But the run blocking side of things, I don't know if that really gets better that much over the course of the season for this team. What can alleviate that is if you have a quarterback in that is in the, that is able to establish a rhythm throwing the football for Virginia Tech and getting a lead and then turning it over to a defense that may have their issues with run defense. We saw that with missed assignments against Old Dominion. But if a team is down and they ultimately have to throw up against Virginia Tech, they actually have a good pass rush and a good secondary that can stymie that type of comeback. So for Virginia Tech, there was at least a blueprint with which to work. But they encountered patches of adversity, and in a perfect world, you blow someone out. If you're a Virginia Tech fan, I still don't dispute the idea that you would love to see them play somebody this year where you can absolutely annihilate them and go, okay, now that's what it's like to put a bad team away, a team to which we should be deemed far superior away. But at least you learn something out of adversity in week one that if you're worth your competitive juice and Virginia Tech and Liberty and even to an extent and defeat Virginia would like to show they are, that's where you can take something like that into the future. Speaking of if you want to take things into the future, you can't take Lynchburg Hillcats experiences this year into the future unless it's the memory of them. But you can buy one, get one. Lynchburg Hillcats, general admission tickets with a $10 food voucher to any of their remaining games they run through this Sunday. Plus, Sequest of Lynchburg, the Star City Half Marathon and 10K coming up this November. Also, is March Root Seafood still at InsaneRadioDeals.com or are they disappeared, Trey? I'm putting you on the spot here at the worst time, I know. So you can blame me for being that annoying boss. They're here. They're there. Awesome. Thanks for the notice. Fleet Feet of Roanoke. Maybe you want to run the Star City App Marathon in 10K and you need to equip yourself with the right gear and shoes. Gift cards are also available for that as well at InsaneRadioDeals.com. Buy one, get one free. Any items, mix and match at InsaneRadioDeals.com. Now there are other topics which we get to address in the Fast Five at Five-ish. It's time for the Fast Five at Five-ish. Five fast-paced, quick-witted things you need to know right now. Number five. Michael Massey of FrenchStretch.com put a scenario out that may be coming to fruition this evening. I'm sure you've seen it already, Trey. It is easy to believe that there's the possibility that John Hunter Nemechek who is a Toyota developmental driver. Joe Gibbs Racing, done very well for them in the Xfinity Series Toyota they have, that he might make the move up to Cup because now with Legacy Motor Club having joined the Toyota fleet and expanded that operation from six to eight different drivers, plus they're mutually parting of ways with the embattled Noah Gregson, creating an opening at that organization that John Hunter Nemechek might just slide on over to that operation. Nemechek teasing that at 6.20 p.m. this evening, conveniently right when we're done with the fast lane, uh, at least the Wednesday version of it, that he will have an announcement to make. Trey, odds that this is the direction that things will actually go. All I have to say is you'll hear a full reaction to his probable announcement on this week's episode of Bringing the Heat podcast, hosted by me. 
you, not Brian Nolan? Yeah, Brian Nolan is going missing. No, he has family stuff. So uh, he, you'll hear his interview with Joe Graff Jr., but that's it. But I'm hosting the rest of it. There's also the possibility that Brian Nolan is just getting his beauty sleep before he joins us tomorrow oh, in the fast lane. He is? You know, that's the real secret trade that they didn't exactly I want you to call know. in sick tomorrow. You know... Better call somebody else. What in the world? I turned, I'm trying to turn my mic off, and I turned the, sound, the computer off. At the rate we're going, I thought you might have been trying to turn my mic off. Number I've thought about it. Four. Open results. U.S. Open results. Putting them out there. Ben Shelton. We mentioned Carlos Alcaraz and how exciting he is. I think he's a little more ahead of the curve. Obviously, he's won two grand slams and has had good runs at other tournaments pushing Novak Djokovic in Cincinnati, losing to him in the four-setter in the French Open to where you can see the results that are tangible. But watch out for this kid from Florida, Ben Shelton. He's kind of annoying. Got that University of Florida annoyance there, if you will, said by a Miami Hurricanes fan. But reality is he's got 140 mile an hour serve. He's got above average athleticism. Kind of another one of these built in the lab players. I don't know if he's as athletic just from a raw movement standpoint of Alcaraz, but He's made it to the French or the U.S. Open semifinals. I, I don't think it goes beyond that because he's got Novak Djokovic uh, coming up in a couple of days, and uh, you know that's a different beast altogether. And we've seen Djokovic if he can break uh, a serve like that and just get somebody moving, it's curtains and drapes, as they like to say. But he beat Francis Tiafo, the other American sensation. You wonder whether the ceiling is uh, gotten met. The roof. Yes, the ceiling is the roof. You wonder whether guys like Taylor Fritz, who lost to Djokovic uh, in convincing fashion, or Tiafo, who really wasn't competitive against Shelton, maybe they're starting to get that scar tissue that's been built up. Uh, but men's tennis and U.S. tennis in general in a good spot, especially if, fingers crossed, for that 14-to-1 ticket on Coco Golf, that she can bust through and go even further in the U.S. Open. She's in the semifinals. She's got a tough match against Carolina Mukova and Probably going to face Arena Sabalinka after that, who I think is playing the best of anyone. But uh, Sabalinka's mental game can go cuckoo, especially if the crowd is against her. And it surely would be if it was Goff versus Sabalinka uh, in a final. But hey, there's a shot. You're saying there's a chance. But all in all, men's tennis is great. And the other cool thing about this is, and again, people hate the DEI stuff that we jump into in the fast lane all the time, but it opens up new audiences. Tennis has largely been an affluent white sport. By opening it up to African-American women, Coco Goff, the Williams sisters, some others, Townsend, Baptiste, among others, Alicia Parks, a lot of younger players that you don't know of yet, but maybe in the future, you're opening it up to more people in the United States that can resonate with this sport. Same thing on the men's side, and that is necessary for a sport that will always be a niche sport, but has grown in popularity in large part because of that. Number three. The Washington Commanders have made the following coaching changes and promotions. Juan Castillo, run game coordinator. Randy Jordan, senior offensive assistant and running backs coach. Travell Wharton, offensive line coach. And Todd Storm, tight ends coach. You wonder whether these were the type of changes that were inevitable, but you're just waiting for new ownership to come in and pass them through. Because these are all guys that have been on the staff in some capacity with the Washington Commanders. I feel old because Travell Wharton's a guy I remember interviewing when I first started covering college and NFL games as he was out of South Carolina and then went to the Carolina Panthers. That's one of those, wow, I feel old moments. But for the Commanders, by and large, these make sense and you know, it kind of solidifies a roster that I don't think is the worst in the NFC least. But 
maybe still behind the top two teams in the pecking order. More on that in the next day or two as Trey Lyle will have our votes of confidence on Friday. But number two, according to Ben Fisher of Sports Business Journal, he has spoken with half a dozen sources who have said there is this possibility that's being floated out there and it's worth monitoring. The top 50 teams in college football signing a grant of rights to new company, which is a tripartite, I might be getting that word wrong. It's bigger than my vocabulary. It's a partnership with Fox, Disney, and wait for it. Here's the kicker, the NFL. So that in one fell swoon, you now have the second most popular sport in America, college football, collaborating with an organization that would love to have a minor league, the NFL, have more control over that minor league, the NFL, and knows how to work with multiple media partners and properties and already has relationships with Fox and Disney. Not to mention we know the NFL is as cutthroat as it gets when it comes to big-time sports. Uh, You know, uh, Trey, this is the first we've heard of it. But I don't think this will be the last we hear of this concept. People have wondered how many teams break away in college football, which brands are going to be part of that, whether it's as low as 32, whether it's as high as 50. And I don't have the finite number that's in that possibility, but the idea that 50 or so are being brought up correlates with a good chunk of the Power Five, but the reality that some of those schools may get kicked out and others will still have a place because there's a rabid enough fan base. And as we hear often, somebody's got to take the loss on these type of things, lose football games. And if you're at least in that group, maybe you can use it to fund other sports. But the idea of a breakaway like that, I don't think it's all that far-fetched. Yeah, I think 50 is a good number because you also think about like this. Uh, bowl games, most bowl games are owned by what company, Ed? Most bowl games are owned by ESPN. And they probably still want to have those on. So you need more than probably 32 teams to fill all those bowl game obligations, I would assume, based off of the numbers they have. So, because um, they have like what, 25 bowl games somewhere around in there, that's 50 teams. So there you go. That's, I think, an easy easy way to figure out why they have 50 teams. You might get like an 0 and 11 team versus a 1 and 12 team in a bowl game, but that's still a bowl game and it'll still make money. So that's what they'll do. Hey, that's that might be another way we get to the Bahamas Bowl. Tech and UVA get in. One of them goes to the Bahamas Bowl. So now we might have a different revenue, different way to you know get to the Bahamas Bowl. Trey, I like where you're thinking. I was wondering where you were going with that convoluted thought, but in all reality, it just made a lot of sense at the very end, and not the Kenny Powers kind. Dollar, dollar bills, y'all. The common sense kind, if you will. You ready for a laundry list? Because we've got it. There are a number of injury notes to bring up. Liberty Flames defensive tackle Kennedy Charles listed as week to week after missing the Bowling Green game with a lower body injury. We'll discuss this Friday with John Manson from a sea of red.com. I would say it's doubtful that he ends up playing this coming week. Everything I've heard about the injury is it's a couple of weeks and Liberty trying to be as conservative as possible with a guy that clearly sacrificed quite a bit to stick around at Liberty University. And of course, you want to not only do right by Kennedy Charles and his professional aspirations, but you see in a defense, at least through week one, that showed they could get pressure on the quarterback in a number of different ways, whether it's Jerome Jolly all over the formation, including off the edge rushing the quarterback all the way around to just letting the front linemen rotate and perform very well. I was actually pleasantly surprised that Liberty losing a little bit of size up front, and that's natural given that Hugh Freeze recruited a lot of uh, Power 5 cast-offs, character or otherwise, but Power 5 cast-offs to that program, 
that Liberty University actually has a number of other bodies that can get after the passer, which means you've got the time to allow someone like Kennedy Charles to take his time. Virginia Tech, Nick Gallo out for the year with a knee injury. Benji Gosnell and Harrison St. Germain, their roles end up getting elevated. Uh, you can put Daquan Wright in that category, but to me, Wright is more like Kyle Pitts in the sense that he's more just a big body wide receiver that you move all over the formation. He's not a guy that you attach to the line of scrimmage for blocking purposes, which is where losing Nick Gallo is probably the biggest effect for Virginia Tech. It's a guy they were counting on enough that they brought him to the ACC football kickoff a couple of weeks ago when that was down in Charlotte, and yet now he is out for the year. Meanwhile, the third injury nugget of note, or injury nuggets, come from the Virginia Cavaliers. Tony Musket, as we mentioned yesterday, day-to-day after suffering the shoulder injury to his left, non-throwing shoulder, in the loss against Tennessee. Chico Bennett actually back participating in practice with limited reps today. He is a game-time decision, as is Musket. Josh Ayern, probable after the concussion. Um, you know, I think generally speaking, you're uh, unless you have a relapse of symptoms, you're probably in a good spot. Also worth noting, Jimmy Chris, the offensive tackle from Penn State, the transfer, who was the four-star recruit, has been back at practice for Virginia. I don't dispute or dismiss that possibility just because we saw Tennessee's defensive line overwhelm Virginia's. Some of that is just Tennessee having more dudes up front that Virginia is probably not going to face the rest of the year. But some of it is also the possibility if there are other issues on that offensive line, you now have one more body that you can try for a different combination to get the best five out there for Virginia, which is still necessary. And then, of course, a recap, a remembrance, if you will, to an injury last year is one we will get to tomorrow in our Fast Five at Five-ish. But... When we return in the fast lane, high school football, Ben Cates with us as we are through two weeks of the high school football season. He provides his perspective and thoughts next here in the fast lane on the CBS Sports Radio Lynchburg app. And of course, keep up with us or weigh in Fast Lane, Ed Lane and Trey Lyle VT, Facebook, Twitter, Instagram.